The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Onyx Hunt. Bringing you the best GPS mapping software directly to your smartphone or desktop, Onyx offers you the ability to see property boundaries, mark waypoints, track your location, and so much more. Visit onyxmaps.com or you can download it directly from your app store today. Save 20% off of your purchase by using the code NATION20 at checkout. That's capital N NATION followed by the number 20. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. All right, so in this podcast, I get to talk about my Missouri trip, which now has basically ended. We're still going to be here for another night and drive back tomorrow morning, but I was able to fill my tag and uh, it was just a blast. Super fun hunt. Um, great camaraderie with the group of guys we got down here and my wife was able to join me. So just a lot of really positive things about this trip. So to basically start it off, you know, when we came down here, the plan was just a couple days. We drove down on a Friday night after work, drove through the night, got here on Saturday morning. And the thought was this should just be, you know, prime rut conditions. The weather wasn't going to be super great for the weekend, but then the Monday, Tuesday that we were going to be here, big cold front was going to come through. So that weather change combined with just the fact that we're, you know, it's where we're at in November right now. This is when the bucks should be, should be cruising, should be moving on does. It was, you know, everything was kind of set up very well. And so last year when we came to Missouri, we hunted some big national forest. Um, and I was hunting with Bobby this year. I hunted a different area of Missouri, also public land. Uh, I hung out with the tether crew this year and they were gracious enough to basically rent uh, a house for us to stay at. And, you know, it's kind of a whole big group of guys here. Everybody's kind of hunting the public land and sharing notes and looking at maps together. And uh, there's a couple of guys down here that had some previous experience with the land and we were able to bounce ideas off of one another. And that aspect was just, it was really enjoyable, really fun to be able to just pick each other's brains and just swap stories and share tips and stuff like that. So uh, that was quite a bit of fun. Friday, or I should say Saturday, Basically what we did was we wanted to spend as much time scouting as possible. So when we drove through the night, we actually just drove straight to the public area that we wanted to check out. One of the places that I had basically done a whole bunch of aerial scouting on. And we just covered ground uh, on foot. We went out there, I think we covered eight miles on Saturday. And we ended up basically sitting in a spot that was okay, but didn't have a ton of confidence in it. You know, really we were trying to look for spots where we'd have good pinch points based on terrain and hopefully find deer sign too. And the last time I was down in Missouri last year, what essentially happened was I was able to do effectively the same thing, but also find a lot of buck sign to kind of confirm that the deer were traveling through those areas. And this year, one of the issues that I found was that there was really not much fresh, fresh sign at all. You know, we were running some of the ridge tops just trying to find you know, rubs and scrapes and stuff like that along some of the, the access trails and and even dropping down some of those secondary points and looking for rubs. And they're just, I mean, we went at least three miles before we even found, you know, our first set of legit fresh tracks. So it wasn't really all that, uh, it wasn't really all that exciting for the first couple miles there. But what we ended up finding when we dropped down to the river bottom area was the habitat got a lot thicker. There was more trees, 
of different types, smaller trees, grass, just a little bit to, more to break up that monotonous um, kind of monoculture that you get in some of the higher ground in the hills where it's basically just kind of an oak forest that is really wide open. I mean, you can see in these hills a long ways in most of the places that you go. And there's not a lot of mix up in terms of the tree type and the cover type. So yeah, these bucks can cruise these hills and I'm sure they definitely do. But once we got down to that river bottom area, that was where we started to see more overall deer sign. And we saw some fresh grapes the first time. We did see a couple rubs. We saw a couple does um, that kind of, we I think we might've kicked them out of their beds a little bit and kind of soft spooked them. So we set up that first day and didn't see any additional deer. Uh, we did see a bunch of turkeys and that was kind of a common theme. There's a lot of turkeys down here in Missouri. Every day we sat, we saw turkeys. Um, but that, that first night, you know, we came back and nobody had really seen a whole bunch that day. Not a whole ton of sign seen, just with the, the group that was out there. And it was kind of warm on Saturday, you know, it got close to 60 degrees. So then the thought was, you know, instead of going back to that same area that we went on Saturday, we were going to definitely check out a different spot on Sunday. And given the fact that we had seen most of the sign that we saw down in a river bottom area, we chose to check out another river bottom area, uh, not too far away. And this was one of those places that was pretty close to a parking lot area, but it was off to the side where like, if you just went on the main trail, you'd walk right past it. So we basically went from the parking lot and just kind of hooked off to the side to check out this area. And right before we got to that parking lot, when it was still dark in the morning, we saw a big buck crossing the road right in front of us and went into a private field that was adjacent to this public that we were going to go check out. So obviously it was like we knew for sure there was deer using that area. And we kind of confirmed that when we got into the woods. And even in the dark, we could see, you know, a fresh grape that we'd walk over. We'd see a couple rubs in the trail that we're kind of walking in on. And then that morning we basically sat on the ground for the first maybe hour and a half until the sun started to get into the woods. Didn't see any deer, heard some turkeys, basically walked back to the truck, got our climbing sticks, walked back in there because it seemed good enough that it was worth maybe an all day sit. And so we picked a pinch point where we were up against the edge of a creek and the wind was blowing out over the creek. So it was, would have been really tough for a deer to actually get downwind of us. And then in front of us, it was kind of the you know border of the public against the private where we had some beans and just a real small little narrow strip of timber between that private field and the creek that the deer would have to basically run between. And so we sat there, ended up seeing a whole boatload of turkeys. And right as it got about dark, and granted, remember this is, this is another warm day. This is, and by the time we got to afternoon, mid 60s, I think the temperature was, and it was just dead. But finally, right as it got really close to the end of legal shooting light, we could hear deer up on the other side of the creek, up in some of these hills, and they dropped down and actually crossed the creek to get to our side, but they did it about maybe 100 yards down the river from us. And they were just like a, a doe and two fawns that we could see. Obviously not much rutting action going on in that group. And then as we took our stands and sticks down, I should say saddle platforms and sticks down, we got down to the base of the tree and then we could hear more deer coming off the hills. And by this time it was dark and we couldn't exactly see what they were. So it was like, yeah, we definitely were in a decent area, but I think just based on that weather, where we just had super warm, maybe above average temperatures, especially compared to the days before and after, they just weren't moving. And the group as well, um, a couple deer were seen, but it definitely was not hot and heavy by any sense of the imagination. 
So when we got back and kind of discussed things with everybody, it was like, man, do we go back to that same area? We know that there's deer there. There's deer sign, there's fresh sign. If we got good movement and good weather, there's a good chance that in that area we could see movement. And there was heavy creek crossings. You know, there was a lot of good potential deer sign and definitely enough indications that bucks could cruise through that area and that nice pinch point in search of does. So there was a strong push for you know us to you know right, go right back into that same area and hunt it again, but there was also this area that we wanted to check out. This kind of a thermal hub that backed up into a creek, right? So basically, this big drainage area emptied out into the creek, and right at the the crossing point of that creek was this kind of thermal hub. We wanted to check that out because it could be good for the wind, and again, could be really good as a potential pinch point as bucks are. Are cruising through to be able to check out some of those hills in the bottom and you know historically when we think of those kind of spots those thermal hubs that could be good for you know those nice quiet calm mornings um, where your wind isn't going to be too much of an issue in terms of swirling around and we decided to go back in there at around midday um, and you got to keep in mind weather wise today that day saturday was just it was sunday was just nasty we, you know we got up in the morning and nobody i don't think went out that first morning because it was just like 35 degrees and rain and wind and the temperature was just dropping steadily throughout the day so eventually by maybe like 10 a.m or so that rain started to turn into sleet and then maybe maybe noon that sleet started to turn into snow and started to accumulate a little bit and the temperature Right, we're already at a 30 degree drop and it just continues to go down. And so that afternoon, everybody just bundled up and, you know, it's like, all right, we got to get into our spots. So what Sam and I, my wife, uh, planned on doing was just getting into the base of that thermal hub with the cover of that weather and just seeing if we could set our stuff up really for more than anything to have a good setup for today, which would be Tuesday, which is the nice, calm, clear, bluebird, cold day after that front really moved through. And so we walk back into the spot across the creek and got into that thermal hub. And there was some sign, not in terms of like rubs or scrapes, but we could see fresh tracks in the snow. And obviously since it was snowing over the last couple hours, it meant deer had just been through there. And we scouted around a little bit, didn't try to cover too much ground, didn't try to really go up into the hills too much to do some scouting. Wanted to try and keep it, you know, fairly low key and not really screw anything up until we hunted it the next day. So we finally found a, an area that seemed about right, could cover a decent amount of trails crossing that creek, and you could even shoot out into the you know, shallow creek bed a little bit and basically shoot to most areas of that thermal hub, set up our saddle platforms, and then started to walk back across that creek towards that place where you come from. Our plan was to basically continue to walk all the way back close to the parking lot and hunt a really thick area next to the road and with the, as nasty as the weather was, you know, that seemed to be a decent option and we'd be away from that area where we just set our stuff up with the plan to basically go back in there the first thing the next morning. But as we crossed that creek again, you know, we could see again in the snow, fresh tracks on the other side of that creek, which given the timing of the snow meant that those deer had been through there in the last, you know, couple of hours. And we bumped up a doe as we're walking through this river bottom area and then not too long after we bumped that doe, we could see a buck cruising through that same direction the doe had come from. 
So it appeared that he was kind of on her trail. You know, it's like, man, if that's a if that happened to be a hot doe, he might not be the last buck that crosses through that area. And in kind of the surrounding area, we had you know, there's little pieces of CRP. There were some thicker areas, some more open areas. So there was somewhat of an amount of convergence, but also at the same time, it was open enough where there was really nothing that was doing a great job of tightly constricting that deer movement into a really tight pinch point. So there's a good opportunity that we could see deer that were 60, 80, 100 yards away and not be able to do anything about it. But we decided to sit there anyway, because it just, I don't know, it felt right. The deer were obviously using that area. There's a lot of deer sign around. The sign was fresh and we were seeing deer moving. So we ended up just finding a big deadfall uh, to tuck Sam and myself into. And she basically just kind of sat on the ground and I sort of sat on a, a branch in that deadfall. And we had a bigger tree that was kind of blocking most of my silhouette. Sat there and waited. And by this point we had maybe two hours left of legal light. And we had a fawn that basically just walked up right behind our tree. It was within 20 yards, I think at one point, and then it kind of veered off and 25 yards away, just kind of fed slowly around us. Never had any idea that we were there. We had the wind in our favor. Uh, Sam got the camera up and got some footage of it. So that was super cool that we had that deer that close on the ground and it just was totally oblivious to our aware, or the fact that we were there. We had some turkeys walk behind us too. And then with maybe about an hour left of legal light, we could hear some crashing behind us in the river bottom, upwind of us. And we looked out there and could see a doe just running through the woods. And then there was a big body deer right behind her. And they were probably at least 60 yards, maybe maybe closer to 80 as they were coming through here. There, So there was nothing we could do. And I threw a couple grunt calls you know, just in case with very low confidence. And of course, I mean, there was probably not much of anything that was going to get that buck off that doe's trail. Uh, so we just continued to sit there in that same spot. And by this point, I kind of considered the, the sit a success. You know, we saw deer, we had deer close, we got to see some chasing action. And we also had confidence for the next morning that in that you know general area that we were in, there's a lot of deer and that was likely to continue the next morning. So we're just sitting there and eventually at some point, Sam decided to stand up. So we're both standing there right next to each other. I was facing, um, facing downwind basically, and Sam was facing upwind. So we could kind of both see and cover, you know, 360 degrees of viewing just for the two of us without having to move too much. And so I would say it was probably about 440, 445, somewhere in there. I can't remember exactly, but basically with roughly half hour ish of legal shooting light, I could see a doe moving through one of those thicker areas, uh, coming kind of out of that CRP mixed with like thicker, uh, timber. And I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. There's gotta be a buck behind her. Sure enough. After she cleared that stuff by about 20 yards, I could see a bigger body deer behind her moving through. I'm like, Sam, don't move big buck. And, uh, she had the camera with her and I didn't want her to have to turn around. And, and even, even she was, she was like, I don't want to, I don't want to spook it, you know, cause she's well aware to the, to this point that if you're on the ground, you're very exposed to movement. And uh, that doe, there wasn't much between us and those deer. You know, they were 45, 50 yards when I first saw them. So for her to turn around, there's a good chance that, that doe might have seen that amount of movement. The way that they were headed, they were probably, I should say the doe was probably about 15 or 20 yards 
away from getting totally downwind and being able to smell us. But then magically she just kind of turned to her left and started to veer around to the other side of my tree. And she started walking closer and closer and that buck was just in tow. And at one point that doe was, when I paced off the steps is about 12 yards from where we were standing in that deadfall. And I'm like, don't move, don't move. Just like whispering to Sam. Cause any movement that doe was gonna pick us off. She was that close. And um, I'm sure Sam could hear that. I can't imagine what it was like for her because she can hear this action going on behind her and she just like, she's just frozen. And uh, eventually the deer, the doe looked up. I wasn't wearing any face mask or anything. I take that back. I was wearing a face mask, but I mean, we were that close. You can, that deer can see your eyes. Um, and I just didn't move. I just had my release knocked on the bow and, and she looked, I'm like, well, gigs up. And she turned around and took off back to the, kind of the direction that she came from. But that buck, he wasn't sure, right? He's, he's chasing this doe. He doesn't know what, why that doe's running. Does she see something? Is she just running? Cause he's been chasing her for how long? Right? So he stood right in his tracks. And at this point he was kind of quartered toward me and he was looking toward us, like directly at us. Cause he wasn't sure if that doe had seen something, I guess. And, uh, or maybe he saw our silhouettes and wasn't quite sure what to think. And he stood there maybe 10 seconds, I'd say. And then he kind of turned his head to the left. Then he turned his head to the right and kind of took a step to turn more broadside. Like he was going to turn and face that doe. And at that point I was like, well, it's now or never. So I just drew back quick. And uh, luckily he was preoccupied enough with the situation that he actually just stood there, right? And then at this point he is totally broadside. I'm at full draw. The only issue is that in this deadfall that we're in, there's some branches and that branch, those branches are covering the entire bottom half of this deer's vitals. So I got a decision to make. I know this deer's, you know, he's got to be about 20, 25 yards, somewhere in that range. It's top pin range basically. And I was using the V site, but that, um, I mean, it's basically top tick marks is what I was going off of. And I put those, those tick marks right where I wanted it to be. I basically put them about halfway up the deer's vitals and they were right on the top most branch in that brush. And in the moment I'm like, I'm thinking, well, that arc of the arrow, right? It goes after like seven yards, it finally hits, you know, equal. And then it goes up and you're shooting a couple inches high for, you know, 10, 15 yards and then drops back down to hit that 20. And I'm thinking if as long as my arrow clears that brush, that it should just drop right in there. And of course this decision-making is, is happening in, you know, the course of like a second. And I just, you know, started pulling on that release and the bow fired and that arrow just dropped right into the pocket where I was aiming. And normally I'm pretty calm and reserved after I shoot an animal I'm nice and quiet still watch where he runs off. And I don't know what it was. If it was just the fact that it was that exciting kind of on the ground, close quarter scenario or the fact that my wife was standing right next to me, but I just kind of like lost in that moment. I just, when I saw that arrow hit, I just went nuts and uh, I got all kind of shook up and, and that deer took off and we saw the direction they went. And in my mind, I just had a perfect shot. Arrow passed through, um, but I didn't hear him crash. And you know he was still go going at a pretty good clip when I last saw him disappear into that brush again. 
And so Sam and I, you know, kind of sat there for a couple minutes and collected ourselves and went and looked for the arrow. I ended up finding the lighted knock buried in the snow. And this, I'll, I'll just throw a plug in for one of the things I did with my, my fobs. I was using fobs in this this hunt with my arrow set up on my compound, but I wasn't running them like they're intended to be run. I basically took the fob and I took a drill bit and reamed out that little lip so that I could slide it over the entire arrow shaft. And I basically just moved it that fob up the arrow about like an inch and an eighth or something like that. And I just took a little couple drops of super glue and just tacked it in place. Cause then that way I can still run my lighted knocks and I can run the fire knocks, which are super short. And then when that fob hits the deer's hide, it pops those glue joints and slides off the back end of the arrow, but you don't lose your knock. So that lighted knock stays with the arrow. So we walked out there and I found the fob laying in the ground. I picked it up, put it in my pocket and then kept walking and then just saw a red glow in the snow and just dug down into the snow and I picked up that arrow. And uh, the snow kind of cleaned off some of the blood, but on that white reflective wrap, it was all red, no guts or smell or anything like that. So in my mind, again, I'm thinking, okay, as long as my mind is not playing tricks on me and I actually hit him about halfway up like I think I did, and it wasn't too high where it was just above the spine and back straps, and it was not quartered. You know, I thought he, in my mind he was perfect broadside. So I'm like, as long as he's not hard quartered and I hit where I think he was, like he's gonna be dead. Um, and so we started tracking and there wasn't a whole lot of blood. It was starting to get really close to dusk at this point. And so I was just kind of following his tracks and we went about 60 yards into where he started to enter into the CRP stuff. And, you know, I was like, man, I'm trying to, I want so badly just to go and follow him. Cause I, in my mind, I think he's, he's down, but I'm like, okay, he's already gone 60 yards. We didn't hear him crash. There's not a ton of blood. The smart play here is to wait. And I was telling this to Sam too, cause I want, and this is a learning experience for her. She's never been on a deer track before. And like the smart play here is to, to give him some time, um, just to be on the safe side. Not a ton, you know, just like half hour or whatever, but we had uh, Jared Schaefer and uh, Carl from Tethered and they were gonna come meet us pretty close to, you know, an area where we could meet up and then go back in and track together. I'm like, let's, let's just wait for these guys. You know, we'll get our stuff together off the ground, all packed up and we'll go wait for them. So when we picked up the track again, it had been a total of about hour and 15, hour and a half, something like that. And with the bright headlamps on, it was much easier to see the blood in the snow than it was without the headlamps and that last, you know, waning light. And I was able to follow him pretty easily and he was, you could tell the blood was kind of spraying. Uh, so there wasn't much blood that was like dripping on the ground. When we would see the blood, it would just be kind of like little, little like a fine mist on the snow. And then we would also, in some of that CRP grass, we would see the blood actually on the grass itself. And so we were able to track them like that and we went a ways. Like I was getting kind of surprised and a little bit worried almost because uh, we had gone like 150, 175 yards and we're still just following blood. And then we found a wound bed and I'm thinking, oh no, like this is like maybe the shot wasn't what I thought it was. Like it can't be, you know, I'm thinking in my head, like if I just center punch both those lungs like I thought I did, he'd be down by now. And we definitely wouldn't see a wound bed. So at this point I'm thinking, man, do we, I don't think we bumped him, um, but do we back out, give him a couple more hours? You know, we're talking amongst us as a group and Carl's like, you know what, we got the snow, let's, 
let's keep going after him because otherwise that wound might freeze up. We might lose blood. We can track him in the snow. All right, yeah, that makes sense. So we continued to follow. We found a second wound bed 15 yards after the first, and then a third, and then a fourth. And these are like just a couple yards apart from one another. And then he dug into just some nasty, thick stuff that we had to crawl to get through. Um, so we're, we're thinking at this point he's, he's hurt pretty bad. And we popped through that stuff into some more CRP. And then he was laying there. So he'd gone a total of about 200 yards. Um, you know, and, and obviously as he got close to the end there, he had bedded down a couple of times in probably quick succession, trying to get back up and then bed back down, get back up. And, and so he was hurt and it was a lethal shot all the way through. And when we looked at the entrance and exit hole, they were just right in that golden triangle, like probably, probably a half inch underneath the shoulder blade on the entry. And then the exit was about the same because it was on level ground. He was perfectly broadside. So it basically went through the front part of those lungs right in that golden triangle. I don't know how he went as far as he did. That didn't, it was like a, you couldn't have placed the arrow better. Um, if it was maybe like two inches lower, we got closer to the top of the heart, but I, I wouldn't have taken that shot back. And I mean, that was, that was it at that point. We, you know, we found the deer, everybody was super excited, high fives all around. And, and, uh, this is one of those places where you can bring e-bikes and Carl had his e-bike and he had a, a cart for it and he was able to get that e-bike all the way back down to the CRP field and you know after we got the deer dressed and I taught Sam how to field dress the deer we got that thing loaded up on the cart and basically just we were able to wheel them all the way back to the vehicle so that was like the easiest drag ever and those things are just unbelievable for what they're capable of those e-bikes um, and we got back and we got the deer hung up and again more more high fives and congrats around the uh around the you know kind of the dinner table at night and ernie power also shot a buck that same afternoon uh jared saw a bunch of nice bucks everybody basically saw deer and everybody saw deer moving so it was like that cold front that hit where it was like 60 degrees 65 degrees that evening before and then that next day was strong north winds the whole day, cold, getting colder throughout the entire day, rain turning to sleet, turning to snow. Those deer, it was like a, that was the, the trigger that really flipped the switch. Everybody that saw a deer saw a rutting type action, I believe. Um, Ernie's buck that he saw, he saw a bunch of does come through and then that buck was right on their trail. And he had ice coating his cams and he drew back and his cams made a bunch of noise as the string broke free and, and uh, that deer didn't even look up at him. And we you know we obviously saw the two bucks chasing does you know we saw that first one and then obviously the one i shot so that weather we had kind of assumed that it would be today the day the calm day after the the storm come through that would be really the good day but it definitely seemed like during that snow even in those high winds that was those deer were just they were moving moving like crazy and so that was kind of, you know, people talk about the moon and rut timing and all that. It still seems like, to me, from the observations that I get, it seems like the weather plays one of the bigger impacts on when you see that kind of activity during daylight hours. Um, so in terms of the hierarchy of all the stuff, it seems like, yeah, weather, if I can plan a trip based on weather, that's, that's my number one. Um, so yeah, now it's, now we're, you know, basically getting ready to, you know, we'll do a couple more video things before we leave and then get that deer taken care of. And then 
drive back, and then the next thing is you got a couple days left of the Minnesota shotgun season that I'll try and get out for and, and do a couple days of hunting, and then probably try and get, hopefully, Sam out in the woods. Um, it's getting a little bit cold, um, so we're, we're already thinking, like, maybe in the next year already where we're starting to plan hunts and get Sam out of some more deer. We might try to get her, so I got I got our shotgun barrel, rifle barrel. We might try to get that thing sighted in for the Wisconsin season if we have time. Because that would be super cool if she's able to get out for that. She just hasn't shot a gun really too much at this point. So it would be kind of a lot of really quick training to try and get out in the woods. Um, so we'll see and play that by ear. And and yeah, that's a pretty good, uh, I think, recap of this Missouri hunt so far. Definitely a trip that I think I'd like to do again. Sam would like to do the same. Um, super fun. So yeah, I think that'll probably wrap up this podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And eventually I will have a YouTube video out. Sam didn't get any footage with her camera um, because obviously I, 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 didn't, I was you know, happy that, I was glad that she didn't try to get footage and potentially spook the deer. So I had my head cam running and I was able to get the shot on film with the head cam and capture the reaction and emotion and everything. So we were gonna put together a good clip for that. So pretty excited. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from Bobby Boswell or myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman and Boudreaux Boswell on YouTube. And with that, thanks for listening.